Welcome to Ask the Therapist, the podcast that invites you into the therapist room to explore the world of mental health with me, your host, Sarah Rees. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ask the Therapist. I'm very excited to share with you today a shorter version of a previous episode that I recorded with Dr. Mary Welford. If you'd like to listen to the extended episode, you can find the link in the show notes. Dr. Mary Welford is a clinical psychologist. She's one of the founders of the Compassionate Mind Foundation, and she's an excellent trainer. And she also is the author of a number of really useful books. She's written Building Self-Confidence Using Compassion-Focused Therapy, The Dummy's Guide to Compassion-Focused Therapy, and a couple of years ago launched The Kindness Workbook with Elaine Beaumont, which is kind of aimed at young adults and teenagers, but actually adults really like it as well. Mary is just one of my most favorite people ever. She is my mentor and clinical supervisor, and we've worked together for a number of years now. So it's a real pleasure to share this conversation. I'm always fascinated about what brings people into deciding to be a therapist and working in psychology. What was your motivation? When did you decide to come into this field? It's a very interesting job, isn't it? It is a very interesting job. I wasn't somebody who had a career plan. I know people who wanted to become clinical psychologists who became clinical psychologists. I know people who wanted to be doctors, nurses, electricians, all sorts of things. I I really didn't know what I wanted to do at all. However, if I look back, with hindsight, I can see certain dots Mm -hmm. and how things joined up for me. So I think that from a very early age, well, key memories for me are either memories of connection right or of disconnection and those were either in relation to me or other people and that became quite a driving force so I really I grew up with a felt set you know like feeling strongly for myself and feeling strongly for other people and I wanted to make a difference on both fronts and I thought that genetics was going to be the best way I was going to do that Oh, and uh, and obviously I'm not. uh, I didn't go into genetics. I didn't get the grades, and I had to rethink things. And a teacher that I really liked said, "I know you, and I think psychology would be a good option." And I looked into it, and I thought that was really, you know, interesting. So I did psychology, but again, I came out of my uh, degree not knowing really what I wanted to do with it. Mm. But I just found myself doing a bit a range of different jobs. And in each job, I was honing down a bit more about what I liked and what I didn't like. Mm. So I started moving towards the things that I liked. So I liked working with people. I liked strangely working with people when they were distressed. I liked seeing people make changes. And when a clinical psychologist came and did some training in one of the places I was working with, I thought, that's fascinating. So it wasn't my initial degree that taught me about clinical psychology. It was kind of like work experience, really. And then I thought, set my sights on that, thinking I want to do clinical psychology. So you did just clinical psychology and then you, did you do that in Manchester? Yeah, so I did, I did my first degree in Liverpool and then I became a care assistant in London and then I became an assistant psychologist in Bournemouth. And then I became an assistant psychologist in Manchester and then did the Manchester training course, the doctorate. 
which is quite CBT focused, isn't it? Yes, very CBT focused. So uh, famously, one of the course team was asked about, you know, what three different modalities of therapy were kind of like offered to the trainees and the member of staff had said cognitive, behavioural and cognitive behavioural. It was very CBT then. Yeah, and you know, that does it disservice because we did all the things, you know, so I remember systemic teaching and I remember motivational interviewing and some psychodynamic, et cetera, but still big emphasis on CBT. And then you were one of the founders of Compassionate Mind Foundation, but what drew you to CFT? So I think that CBT is one of the most compassionate approaches that there is because it actually gives people a set of skills that they can apply to their lives, etc. You know, and I suppose I would say a lot of different approaches are highly compassionate. But what I was finding was that people who had extremely high levels of shame weren't doing so well. So people either clearly wouldn't even come along for appointments or wouldn't be as open or wouldn't talk about things that were difficult but also people who would start to bully themselves you know about the process of therapy and tell themselves off and no matter how much I looked at alternatives and looked at evidence with them etc it didn't seem to be changing things yeah so it seemed as if it was you know people who weren't doing so well at the CBT that seem to be bullying themselves, seem to exhibit high levels of shame. And that led me to the work of Paul Gilbert. And I suppose the compassion being the antidote to that, the idea that if we develop a compassionate relationship with ourselves and with other people, that can be an antidote to those difficulties. And you've written extensively on self-criticism. What impact do you see that it has on people's lives? Because I say, I mean, I have such a high percentage of people that come to see me. If I say, what's your relationship like with yourself? How do you speak to yourself? I'd say about 99% say, not well, bullying themselves. I don't know if it's just that's, I know I've done a lot of work on my self-criticism through this kind of training, but it still pops up now and again. But I don't know, do we all just bully ourselves? Is it? I think that we we do. We have an inbuilt often idea that if we bully ourselves, tell ourselves off, that it will improve things. You know, that if only we bully ourselves enough, then actually we'll make some positive changes and then life will be really rosy. So this this inherent kind of idea that motivates us. So therefore, standard CBT where you're looking at changing the you know that relationship with themselves unless you get at what the perceived function is unless you try and you know work out why am i doing this to myself what am i hoping to achieve for it with it then actually what it can mean is that we we know it's not helpful to us but we think it's helpful to us at the same time so the key thing is is to try and discover what we hope to achieve by criticizing ourselves and then the big question is can I do something that has all the benefits that I perceive self-criticism has without the drawbacks is there another way of talking to yourself that has you know that means that you do achieve your goals that does assist you but doesn't mean that you're depressed and anxious and suffering with low self-esteem low self-worth feeling disconnected etc etc 
If you'd like to find out more about life behind the scenes of private practice, then why not join us in our Therapist Corner Substack community? Therapist Corner on Substack offers an exclusive look behind the scenes of the business of therapy, bringing together diverse perspectives and exploring the how and why of the business of therapy. Visit therapistcorner.co.uk to sign up or for more information. What tips would you give to people who thought that were listening to this and kind of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm really self-critical. What would be that kind of, can you give a few tips? So first and foremost, yeah. give yourself a pat on the back because if you're noticing that, yes. you're becoming more aware of it. And with awareness comes choice. Do I go with this or do I try something different? So number one, awareness building. Number two is ask yourself the question, in my heart of hearts, what do I think I'm trying or what do I think I will achieve mm. from bullying myself in this way? So we often have the the question that we pose to people, if I had a magic pill and I gave you it and you were going to wake up tomorrow and you were never going to be critical of yourself again, what would your greatest fear be? And just thinking about that and, you know, it's like playing family fortunes. People just come out with all sorts of, oh, I'd become I'd become arrogant, I wouldn't improve, I'd become really lazy. You know, all of these different things tip off yeah. people's tongues that haven't really thought about before. So it makes sense, isn't it? If you think that actually achieve something, you're going to continue to do it. Of course you are, yeah. So then the third question is, if I could give, you know, if you could think about a different way of achieving those same goals without becoming down on yourself, without bullying yourself, without becoming depressed or anxious, disconnected from yourself and other people, would you give that a go? And that's then where the self-compassion comes in. Yeah. That you start building a more compassionate. Yeah. So like, becoming aware. Yeah. What the function is. Mm. And then setting about achieving the same function but with a different way of relating to yourself it's fantastic thank you and in in the jobs that we do day to day we we work with people's distress don't we mm. that's probably one of the biggest questions that I get asked how how do you do what do you do and how do you manage people's distress day to day how would you say you manage that working with people in distress and struggling it's a tricky one isn't it because you know, there's absolutely no doubt about it. If I'm sat with somebody yeah. who is distressed, I feel with them. Yes. And when I stop doing that, that's the day to most likely stop doing, you know, kind of like this for a job. And in feeling it with them, there's the connection, you know, that I I strive for. So we connect. But paired with that is a profound sense of admiration for people because people are amazing. Mm. So I sit there simultaneously while somebody's distressed and I'm feeling, you know, with them, some of that, is this real profound sense of how amazing that human beings endure yeah. such things and find a way to live. And unfortunately, Sometimes the way that people find a way to live comes at quite a lot of personal cost. And then my my job is to facilitate them finding a different way mm. that's maybe not 
beating themselves up that's maybe not withdrawing that maybe that's not over striving that's maybe you know all sorts of different things but I just sit in admiration I I leave work I can honestly say I leave work at the at the end of the end of the day after having you know having my clinical days and yes I'm tired but I am also inspired and that's that's my lifeblood If somebody was considering therapy, what would you advise them? What would you recommend? You know, because there's lots of people that I think going to therapy is such a brave thing to do, having done it myself. Yeah. (laughs) How anybody comes through your door, it's amazing, isn't it? But so there's lots of people that kind of ponder with the idea and they're not sure. Is there anything you'd advise them? You see, I would would most likely advise people to just be open to the experience. But if they're struggling with shame and self-criticism, I might advise them to actually read something before going along, which is about how we all struggle with it and how we're all work in progress and how we've got a tricky mind and a tricky biology. And if it is that actually that opens people up Mm. to being more open with their therapist, that might be a really good starting point. Yeah, a nice foundation. A nice foundation because I just think that unfortunately, within especially within statutory services, time's limited. And if we go along and to therapy and we're only just starting to feel more open by, you know, kind of like halfway, three quarters way in, you know, that that's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. Yeah. So so it's almost like if it is that somebody identifies themselves as having quite high levels of shame or high quite high levels of, of self-criticism, I'd suggest, you know, reading The Compassionate Mind or, you know, my my take on CFT is dummies or the self-confidence book. But maybe having a read of those. Yeah. Know, aspects of those so that there's an opening before going along yeah it's really good advice yeah because I think it, it you know life is so tricky and then you sat in a room which I've experienced myself on two occasions you sat in a room with another person mm. and it's very weird to yeah. start off with <laughs> and there's all sorts of things that are bobbing around your head about what can I bring what can I what's relevant Mm. you know what does this person think of me what do they make of me all sorts of other things and that can be a huge barrier to getting out of it what you need so maybe you know kind of like maybe you know having a read around something that will help you start to address that before you go along that I, I would suggest that Thank you for listening to today's episode of Ask the Therapist. I'll be discussing all you've heard in this episode and more over in the Therapist Corner community on Substack. To join me there, just click on the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care of your mental well-being as you continue on the path to becoming the best version of yourself.